0: Please remain standing and pray with me. Come, Holy Spirit, now we pray and open the mysteries of the Scriptures to us, things that are so great, so wonderful, that we will never fully encompass them in our understanding, we'll never comprehend them, but, Lord, please let us grab a hold to them at least. And, Lord, chiefly among these, may we we take hold of the mystery of God's great love for his human creation, even those of us who are still enemies of his. He loves us. Lord, come now, Holy Spirit, bring the word of God to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, there's an old saying that we use a lot in Anglicanism. It's uh, lex orendi, lex credendi, it actually goes lex orendi, lex credendi, lex vivendi, but usually we hear lex orendi, lex credendi, which basically means how you pray determines what you believe, and what you believe ultimately will determine how you live. So what we pray ultimately determines what we believe. How we we express ourselves in prayer reflects our core spirituality how we really think about and relate to God and how we live that out in our life. So all of us probably have what I would call an idiosyncratic approach to prayer, something that's typical to us, a way of praying that suits us. And as we pray in in that typical pattern... We're actually telling a story about who we think God is and who we think we are in relationship with God. So my own spirituality has been deeply formed by two, by two prayers, a couple of prayers. The first one is John Wesley's covenant prayer. It goes like this. I am no longer my own but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me. Uh, do the thous throw you all off? And wilt doesn't mean like lettuce. It just means like it means like will. You know, so put me, uh, put me to what you will. So put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full. Let me, have, let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure. And disposal. And now, O oh Lord, thou art mine and I am thine. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. I mean, I actually got choked up. That's so much who, who I am. There's another prayer that has shaped my spiritual life. Uh, it was first recorded in 1897, but it very quickly became associated with the spirituality of Saint Ignatius Loyola. And this prayer goes like this. He didn't compose this prayer. He died 200 years before the prayer was composed, but it gets associated with his spirituality. Lord, teach me to be generous, to serve you as you deserve, to give and not count the cost, to fight and not heed the wounds, to toil and not to seek for rest, To labor and not to look for any reward, save that of knowing that I do your holy will. To fight and not heed the wounds. I love that prayer. I mean, it speaks to something deep inside of me. It's the prayer of a warrior. It's the prayer of a knight. It's like, yeah, I want to ride out with Theoden and the Rohirrim on the Pelennor fields, outside the gates of Gondor, and fight the host of Mordor, and nobody knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) Okay, that might have shaped my spirituality a little bit as well. I think it's a very good prayer indeed, and it expresses a noble and a godly sentiment. In fact, these prayers taken together uh, are full of sentiments like duty and service, consecration, Self-abandonment, those things are my heart. Self-abandonment in a great cause, the great cause of the one who is called in the King James Version in Hebrews chapter 2, the captain of our salvation. Jesus is my captain, the captain of my salvation. Or as he's referred to, and this is the patristics thought that this is a uh, a theophany, a revelation of the pre-incarnate Christ in Joshua chapter 5. I am the commander of the armies of the Lord. The commanders of the army of the Lord. He's my commander. He's my captain. Glorious death on the field of battle. woo Well, this is a biblical component of discipleship, but it is not a complete discipleship. There is a different spirituality at work in Jesus's description of what it means to follow him here in John chapter 15. It's a spirituality of intimacy, a spirituality of intimacy. Intimacy with Jesus is at the heart of following Jesus, not just duty, but deep sharing with and even vulnerability to Jesus. Jesus. So what we read this morning, the setting for that passage is Jesus' farewell discourse in the Gospel of John. It actually begins in John 13, his farewell discourse with his disciples in the upper room. This is the night when he washes the disciples' feet. He has just washed the disciples' feet, and Judas Iscariot, Iscariot has gone out to betray him, and it was night. And Jesus is now preparing His disciples that remain around the table in fellowship with Him for His upcoming suffering and death and even for for the future events of the resurrection and His ascension. So in this last time together, before He is taken to the cross, this is what Jesus speaks of as being most important in the life of a Christ follower. And here we hear, listen to what it says... Again, just remember what it says again in the passage that we heard Chris read this morning. In that passage, Jesus mentions love nine times. Yes, there is a lot about keeping His commandments, but every one of those times where He refers to keeping His commandments, it is always related to abiding in intimate love with Jesus. Jesus mentions His love for us, His his Father's love for Him and for us, and the love we are to have with one another, nine times, and eight short verses. And verse 9 is really the linchpin. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. As This is what it means, okay? You want to be a follower of Jesus? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Rest in my love. Stay in my love. I often remind us at Christchurch that love is not merely a feeling or an emotion, but I need to personally remember, and maybe some of you here need to remember also, that love is profoundly connected to our emotions. If I never have any love related to emotions attached in my relationship with a friend, or a spouse, or a parent then there is something essentially wrong with that relationship, and all of us would agree with that. The same is true of my relationship with Jesus. If it is emotionally sterile, frigid, devoid of genuine affection for Jesus Christ, then that is a sign that my discipleship is broken. If you're like me and your discipleship is focused on service and duty let me share something with you. This is vitally important. If you're a very service-oriented person, okay, some of us here are, that's that's where you feel closest to Jesus. We can outwardly appear to be dutiful and obedient in our servant discipleship in fact, we can have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith. So as to remove mountains, we can give all that we have to the poor and deliver up our bodies to be burned as martyrs. But if we do not lo- do not have love, then our discipleship is broken. So if, well, So we can be all about those sentiments like the ones I love <laughs> to fight and not heed the wounds and toil. And not seek for rest but inwardly inwardly even though we can outwardly be expressing that and even inwardly be feeling that we can still be in a place listen of very pious rebellion against God pious rebellion against God I mean I'm doing all the stuff I'm fighting I'm toiling serving emptying myself what do you mean I'm in rebellion against God? We can do our duty, but we can carefully treasure and curate a catalog of resentments and disappointments, of unanswered prayers, of service that goes unnoticed and unrewarded. And before you know it, we have composed a narrative, a story in which God is a very mean and petty deity indeed. That's what Jesus rebukes in the church of Eph- in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. He tells that wonderfully hardworking... I love these guys. If I was in one of the seven churches of Revelation, I would have... I, like, Ephesus, I'm going there, man. Man, they, they can't put up with Nicolaitans. I don't even know what a Nicolaitan is, but I like that they can't put up with them. <laughs> Jesus says to them, I know your works. I know your works, your toil your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them false. Ooh, good doctrine. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. That's right, we're diligent, but I have this against you. You have abandoned your first love. Remember, therefore, from whence you have fallen. Repent. Repent. And do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Beloved, here's what Jesus wants for us. He wants to give us, he wants to give us a new vocabulary, a new list of words to describe discipleship that don't just sound like toil and fighting and laboring and emptying ourselves. He doesn't just want us to be good soldiers. Jesus wants to be filled with his joy. That's a word for you, joy. Does your discipleship have any joy in it? That's what Jesus wants for you. These things I have spoken to you. Okay, here's why I'm talking to you, y'all. That my joy may be in you. Okay, so the joy that is within the Son of God. My joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Or your joy may be full. Jesus wants you to be full of joy. Another friend of mine, um, I'll I'll mention his name. Name, First name is David. He uh, was recently speaking with a woman who had been coming to him. She was um, in her prime of her her career. She's a professor at a well-known university in one of these little university towns here in North Carolina. Uh, She'd been a lifelong atheist and a Buddhist. You can be both. That's right. Uh, And she had been captivated, though, by this person of Jesus. And she had begun to read the Gospels after reading a a novel that was about Christian. It was not a Christian book, but it it, kind of told the story of redemption in a very sweet way. And so she came to him, and she said she was fascinated with Jesus. And she said, listen, I don't need to know about self-emptying. Buddhism taught me all about self-emptying. I need to know how to be full, and I think Jesus can do that. Are you full of joy? Is your discipleship full of joy? Here's here's another word that Jesus wants to add to your discipleship vocabulary. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus just does not just want us to be servants. He wants us to be friends. He wants to be our friend. I don't often do this, but you can handle it. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me foes assail me he my savior makes me whole hallelujah what a savior hallelujah what a friend saving helping keeping loving he is with me to the end hallelujah what a friend boss doesn't have to tell his employees what he's doing in his business. A commander doesn't have to report to his privates to let them know the plan of battle. They just need to know what they need to know in a compartmentalized way. But a friend shares their heart with you. A friend takes you into their confidence. Jesus shares his heart with his friends. A friend wants to spend time with you just because that friend loves you. Jesus wants to be with you. Is Jesus in your discipleship? Is he your boss only or is he your friend? Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Titus 3 verses 4 and 5 says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared... He saved us. Because, not because, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. You know, here's a word I want want to add to your spiritual journey as well. A word for your discipleship. How about this one? How about chosen? Chosen. You did not choose me but I chose you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Jesus picked us out. Uh, (laughs) Elizabeth went, uh, our youngest daughter, went to South Carolina to a farm a few days ago, a few weeks ago now, actually. Um, There was um, some working dogs that had a litter of puppies that were great Pyrenees. These weren't mediocre Pyrenees. These were great Pyrenees. (laughs) And so she went, and she, she looked, and they, the mom and daddy dog were so great, and they were real working dogs, and they were just a pile. It was like being attacked by a horde of mashed potatoes when the puppies ran up, you know. And uh, and it was like, you know, attacked by Q-tips or whatever. And uh, she, uh, but she looked at those puppies, and she looked at those puppies, and she, she picked one out. She chose one. She brought it home. Are you not worth more than many puppies? (laughs) You are chosen. I chose you. He picked us out. We are wanted men and women. As a follower of Jesus, you need to know that somebody wants you. Somebody wants you. The most important person wants you. He says to you, I picked you out. How about this? How about he desires you? How about he is jealous for you? He chooses you. You didn't do anything to merit this. It is all grace. The pressure is is off of you to measure up. He chose you when you were still his enemy. He didn't choose you because you were the best in the litter, but because, as it says in Deuteronomy chapter 7, the Lord set his love on you and chose you. He sovereignly set his love on you and chose you. He picked you out, not because of what you've done. No matter who you are or what you've done, or what you will do, the God of the universe desires you. The pressure is off. There is nothing you can do today to make God want you more, which also means there's nothing we can do to be wanted by Him. He co- that comes simply by being His creature. Let me give you a couple more words for your discipleship vocabulary. Here's what happens. Here's what happens when we realize that we are really loved like this, When discipleship goes from soldiering to intimacy. That passage again, 15, 16, John's Gospel. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Listen to this. I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Here's the word. Ready? Fruitful. What kind of fruit? Well, in the context of John's gospel, I don't think it can be narrowed down to a list of fruit like the fruit of the spirit in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All right. No, I think in John's gospel, fruit just means life. After all, fruit is where new life comes from. Fruit tree drops fruit into your soil. After a while, that seed that's in that fruit just grows a new tree. Fruit always represents new life, fertility, fecundity. Fruit is the opposite of death. If our discipleship becomes all duty and all being a good soldier, then it loses life. But when we are intimate with Jesus, we become the source of God's life in the world. Because his life is in us and it cannot be contained, we become the life of the world for the world. John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. That's discipleship, abundant life. and that life leads to one last word that emerges from this passage a word for our discipleship vocabulary that word is give not that we are the ones giving but it is god giving to us it says so that whatever he says jesus says so that whatever you ask my fa- ask the father in my name he may give it to you when we are living in intimacy we ask And the Father gives. We don't earn it. We ask. Bounty and generosity and gift-giving flow naturally from love. And that is what following Jesus ultimately is all about. Abide in my love. You abide in his love. And God's generosity is just a natural part of living. Prayers are answered. Life does pour out. New beginnings start. Do you know and believe the love that God has for you? We heard a verse in 1 John 4. Uh, 1 John 4.16, Lisa read this morning. So, listen to what John writes to his church. So, we have come to know and believe. We have come to know and Believe the love God has for us. Do you, you might not, you might know it. Do you believe it? The love God has for you. Is that even in the realm of possibility for you this morning? God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. Now I'm, I throw that out there, and if you're like me, I'm sorry. I, I have to know, all right, thank you very much. How do I abide in his love? Oh, if if that's what I'm supposed to do, I'm I'm all about, okay, you have convinced me, preacher. I need new words in my vocabulary. Don't leave me hanging. Well, I we could go on and on about this. I'll just give you two two ways of doing this. It's easy. Uh the first way is word. Right back before the passage in John where we started in uh, John chapter fifteen verse seven, Jesus says, "Abide in me. If my, if if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you wish and it will be done for you." How do we abide? We abide through His words. Where are His words? If I could only find some place where I could find His words. Excuse me. Wait, Tom Boast is here. It is. It is, Tom. Because you're like like pouring it right down to that one little point right there. You know, uh, uh, if we have God's word abiding in us, I'm a tea drinker, and I'm a coffee drinker, too. Heck, if it's liquid, I'll drink it. Uh, (laughs) Don't need an amen. All right. (laughs) But... But uh, in the morning, I'll, I'll get out those. I like red rose tea. I'll get those red rose tea bags out. Four to the teapot. That's how many it takes in my teapot. And you know what I do? I drop those red rose tea bags in a pot, and then I pour boiling water over them. And you know what those tea bags do? They're not in there churning. They're not in there making any little tea bag noises. If tea bags had noises, it would sound like this, ee, you know, trying to make tea. They're not doing that. They just abide in that water. And all of, all of a sudden, there's tea in there. My words abide in you. you. May ask what you wish and it will be done for you. And the second way we do this is through sacrament. John Mark McMillan wrote a song. It's a, it's a uh, contemporary Christian song. He actually wrote it in an angry conversation with God because of the recent tragic death of a friend of his who died in a car accident. And in that, in that moment, in that time of, of confrontation and and argument with God, he was struck with God's amazing love. He writes in this song how he loves us. We are his portion. We are his portion, and he is our prize. Drawn to redemption by grace in his eyes. If grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. Now listen to this. This will make you uncomfortable. So heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. And my heart turns violently inside of my chest. I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way that he loves us. At his table, he leads us to his banqueting hall and his banner over us is love. This is heaven's sloppy, wet kiss. If you have a child, even if you've ever been a child, Ron, were you a child? See, it could happen to anybody. When you go to bed at night, you have a little ritual at home probably, but one of the things that's part of that ritual is somebody's going to hug you and somebody's going to kiss you. I sure hope they did. You just needed it every night. You couldn't go to sleep without it. It was a part of your routine. It's what kept you knowing that you were in love. Right here, it's the kiss. It's the routine that we can't live without. That we can't go to bed without, we can't go off to school without, we can't go off to work without. This holy meal is a table of love. And here, our Savior says, I love you. I desire you. I have set a table of abundance for you. Now I want you to think about it through that tiny little sip of wine and that itty-bitty little styrofoam wafer. (laughs) It's It's like the funnel that heaven's abundance flows through into your life. I have set a table of intimacy for you. Come and feast with me Come and feast on me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.